To know where the internet is going, you have to know where it's been. Every episode will examine the sites, terms, and personalities that have defined the online world. So strap on your chrono belts, time cadets. It's time to take a trip to the Old Wide Web. Episode 1, The Muppets Take Bangladesh. Hi, I'm Bill Meeks, and welcome to the first episode of Old Wide Web. I'm here to teach you the history of the internet. Whether you're a newbie or an old tech head, I'm going to give you an overview of how the internet evolved into what it is today. I'm a member of the first generation to grow up with the internet. I was there, man. The internet didn't start with Facebook. Heck, it didn't even start with AOL. It's the end result of decades of human invention, achievement, and yes, occasional stupidity. What started as a way for academics to communicate has blossomed into a network that touches all of our daily lives, geek and norm alike. In today's first segment, we're going to talk about one of the first big online viral hits. It involves a familiar character, a healthy dose of Photoshop, and reaches all the way to a revolution in Bangladesh. Let's take a look at what makes Bird is Evil a site worth remembering. Sunny days, sweeping the clouds away, on my way to where the air is sweet. But can you tell me how the internet distorted one of the most beloved characters on Sesame Street? The website Bird is Evil parodied the character Bert from Sesame Street using fabricated evidence created by Dino Ignacio and others using tools like Photoshop, as well as humorous text pieces. They tied Bert to evil figures such as Hitler and Osama bin Laden, as well as accusing him of having a corrupting influence among his fellow Muppets. In one story, Bert forces Ernie to get lap dances at a girly bar. In another, he's accused of assaulting the innocent Prairie Dawn. And in yet another, it's suggested he might have been involved in the death of Mr. Hooper, owner of the general store. And the citizens of Sesame Street weren't his only targets. No 90s pop culture figure was off limits. People like O.J. Simpson, Michael Jackson, and talk show host Jerry Springer seemingly all had connections to the man in the striped shirt. I'm going to go ahead and play a clip for you. It's Ignacio talking about where he came up with the idea for the site on Revision 3's Internet Superstar a couple years back. You know, honestly, I grew up watching Sesame Street, and I remember just thinking, that, that guy is a jerk. He's kind of a kind of a prick, yeah. he is. And, uh, and uh, that just boggled me over the years. Like, why is this guy, you know, so angry? And, uh, you know, around... I guess it was summer of 96. I was just thinking, you know, I've got to do something about this. I've got to write about this. People have to know. When the site won the Webby Award and the People's Voice Award for Best Weird Website in 1998, its audience increased rapidly, which brought about its own set of challenges. Now, a lot of newspapers and websites had stories about Bertus Evil around this time. You, you know, what really always got me about coverage of internet sites in this time period, mid-late 90s, all the stories had this consistent take on it, which was basically, isn't this internet stuff wacky? They kind of saw the internet as a novelty, like the Pet Rock or Rubik's Cubes or the Paleo Diet. 
But they all had to start taking it a little more seriously in 2001 when Burt moved from filler fluff to hard news. A Reuters photojournalist captured an image of a protest sign in Bangladesh featuring a graphic from Burt is Evil that showed Osama bin Laden palling around with Burt. Over the few days the story was in the news cycle, it came out that the man who made the sign had printed it directly from a Burt is Evil mirror site, unaware of the humorous Western context that having Burt in the background caused. The story made headlines on many high-profile news sites such as CNN, the BBC, ABC News, and the New York Times. Now, with the site being so popular, a whole lot of cheap knockoff sites showed up in the Yahoo directory, which, you know, was the directory at the time. Sadly, I have to admit, I was the owner of one of those sites. I called it uh, Domination. We can stop brain together. And it purported to prove cultural phenomenon like the Teletubbies and the Truman Show, things like that, were all plots by the cartoon character Brain from Pinky and the Brain to take over the world. I, now, it's a really super lame website. I, I suggest you do not go to it. But if you want to go to it, the link is Braindom, B-R-A-I-N-D-O-M dot tripod dot com. That's that's right, it's still up with a live counter, uh, so you can check it out if you want to. I'll put the link in the show notes, but I highly suggest you don't. Anyway, back to Bird is Evil. Now, no good thing can last forever, and on October 11th, 2001, Ignacio posted the following message on his site. I have taken down the site Bird is Evil from my server. I would like to thank Sesame Workshop for their patience and restraint all these years. I implore all fans and mirror site host of Bird is Evil to stop the spread of this site too. This is not selling out. I was not bullied. I am not being a puppy. I am doing this because I feel this has gotten too close to reality, and I choose to be responsible enough to stop it right here. I hope my other projects will receive an ounce of the appreciation you all showed. Bert is evil. While the initial site is only available on the Internet Archive's Wayback Machine, the decision by Ignacio to allow anybody to mirror the site means that there are dozens of copies you can find with a quick Google search. Here he is again on Internet Superstar talking about that decision. For, for a span of um, a year or two, the site was not even on my server. I had given away the whole site as a mirror, um, a zip file for people to mirror everywhere. And at that time, there were like mirrors popping out everywhere, New Zealand, Canada, California, everywhere. But just because he took down the site doesn't mean it still doesn't have an effect in our daily lives. You can trace the influence of the site to other Sesame Street parodies like the lovable terrorist Gitmo on The Daily Show's semi-regular segment, Gitmo's World. With more on how the closing of this infamous prison is being viewed, we're joined by our man on the inside of the prison, Guantanamo Bay detainee, Gitmo. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, John. How are you? And Avenue Q, the hit Broadway musical, owes more than a bit of a nod to Bird is Evil for helping to move children's puppets into a more adult space. Can you do? You work real hard 
And you know, the Muppets have really upped their hip factor as of late. They have a line of comics out that are doing really well. Uh, they have an upcoming motion picture uh, done by Jason Siegel, the guy from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And for the past couple of years, they've had a really kicking YouTube channel, which has spawned a ton of award-winning online videos. The internet is a completely different culture, isn't it? You said it. Everything here is immediately followed by sarcastic comments and nasty responses. Yep. We're finally where we belong. <laughs> is this real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. No escape from reality. Open your eyes. Look up to the skies and see I'm just a poor boy I need no sympathy Mama! Mama, when Wabby! When Wabby, Mama! When Wabby! <laughs> Mama? Mama? Oh! Voicemail. Making funny Photoshop images wasn't really all that popular when Bird is Evil came out. I really think Lolcats, Scumbag Steve, Worth 1000, and all the other Photoshop memes you can think of really owe a debt of gratitude to the creative and satirically rich Photoshopping that happened on Bird is Evil. There were a few other humor sites in the same vein back when Bird is Evil was around, like the 8 My Balls sites, for instance. But most of the humor sites out there were just big long text pages, collections of jokes like blonde jokes, ethnic jokes, uh, guy walked into a bar jokes, anything you might find in a joke book on the shelves at your local bookstore. It really was a pretty unique site for the time. The type of humor on Bird is Evil was designed for the web, and its success was due in no small part to how quickly the web was growing around it. Now you add that with the fact that it roasted a character with instant recognition, in America anyway, and the wow factor of photoshopped images which were fairly novel at the time, and it's no surprise this site is still talked about today. It worked because it touched on a nostalgic nerve in several generations of web users, and you can still get your nostalgia fix by visiting the official mirror at birdisevil.tv. Welcome back. Uh, now, most of us use the internet every day, but how many people understand where the internet came from? That's what we're going to explore in this first part of our three-part series, A Brief History of the Internet. Think of it as the Cliff Notes version of internet history. But first, let's hear one of your first online memories in a segment I like to call Memory Allocation, and I'll tell you how to submit your own at the end of the episode. Downloading memory. Processing. Processing complete. Dispense memory. Hello everyone, my name is iPod Parf. Most people call me iPod Parf. And I'm 14 right now, but when I was 3, I can remember going on the Nickelodeon.com and a lot of other just kids' websites to play games. And I don't know what I did at 3, but I remember I went to websites and stuff, kid websites, and just, I don't know, did stuff. I can't remember, I was 3. But yeah, by the age of six, I really got into the computer, and I still am into computers today. Uh, if you want to follow me, it's at iPodParf on the Twitters. So yeah.
ready, it's time for a brief history of the internet, 1969 to 1990. In part one, we're going to explore the gestation period of the internet, which for the sake of simplicity, we'll say goes back to the 1960s. Now, most people don't know, but the internet actually started as a government project and grew over several decades to become the entity we know today. We'll start in 1968. 1968. ARPANET was born when UCLA, Stanford, the University of California at Santa Barbara, and the University of Utah linked their networks together to share information. 1969. The first text message is sent over ARPANET. The message contained the first two letters in the word LOGIN, but since the first message didn't completely transmit, it turns out the first message sent was LO, one L off from a truly LOL moment. That's a incredibly lame joke. Hey, joke writer guy. Yeah, yeah, you, Mr. Funny Pants. You're fired. Leave. Go. 1972. Ray Tomlinson created the first email program, ensuring the livelihoods of thousands of displaced Nigerian businessmen. 1974. The internet is given a name by Vincent Cerf and Bob Kahn in a paper detailing their work developing the TCPIP protocol, which would eventually allow reliable communication between network computers. 1979. Aw, Usenet was born. Now, for those not in the know, Usenet was a precursor to today's message boards with one key difference. There was no central authority moderating the messages, which allowed for more diverse discussions and dissemination of information. In fact, Usenet news groups are still used for piracy today because of their decentralized nature. Oh wait, you're not supposed to tell people about Usenet, I'm sorry. 1983 TCPIP becomes the core internet protocol, and even more importantly, the domain name system, or DNS, was created at the University of Wisconsin. It allowed computers connected to the internet to be accessed by remembering a simple name versus a long string of numbers. Now you still use this system every time you go to a website. Think of it as kind of a, a phone book for the internet. Because of DNS, you can go to Google by typing google.com into your browser instead of having to remember 74.14.204.147, which is quite a pain. 1984. In a rare occurrence of the government actually getting something done, the Department of Defense split ARPANET up into separate research and military networks. 1988. The NSFNet network backbone was deployed, leading to a quick surge in new traffic and forcing steady network upgrades to keep up with the huge demand. 1990. We are now in the final gestation period for the modern internet. The Department of Defense officially disbanded the old ARPANET structure, replacing it with the NSFNet backbone. But, just as importantly, Tim Berners-Lee of CERN, you know, that's the people that, who are working on the Large Hadron Collider up there that's going to destroy the world and everything. Yeah, you've heard of it. I, I know you've heard of it. Well, anyway, Tim Berners-Lee created a system dubbed Hypertext, which allowed a linked directory of physics information to be easily shared. This single development would give birth to the World Wide Web as we know it, and that's what we'll address in part two of A Brief History of the Internet, 1990 to 1996. Oh, it's gonna get good. Lexicon. Link tag, an HTML tag used in the early days of the web to bring emphasis to a piece of text by making it blink like this. Link. Link, 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 
The day it was implemented in Netscape Navigator, many users found it cool, but within two weeks it came to be regarded as super annoying. Welcome back. Before we move on, I wanted to share this with you. I was just browsing textfiles.com, which is this really great website that archives a bunch of old text files from the BBS days and the early days of the internet. And uh, I found this uh, text document here. It's called The 12 Commandments of BBS Users. And now a lot of these can be applied to modern internet users today. So I just wanted to go ahead and share them with you. And, you know, these are the rules you really need to try to live by online. Number one. Thou shalt love thy BBS with all thy heart and all thy bites. Self-explanatory. Two, love thy hacker as thyself. Obviously, you want to appreciate your hacker or your hacker is not going to appreciate you or your uh, security. Three, thou shalt not post in all caps. Don't do it. People will hate you. Number four. Honor thy sysop and co-sysop. Again, self-explanatory, just like the hacker. If you mess with them, they're going to mess right back with you. Number five. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's password. Keep those things to yourself. Number six. Thou shalt delete thy own mail. Now Merlin Mann thought he had a great idea with the whole getting things done in box zero. It was right here years and years ago on BBSs. Number seven. Thou shalt keep thy foul language to thyself. That really didn't stick, did it? Number eight. Thou shalt not attempt to crash thy BBS, for thou shalt be cast out from the sanctuary of thy hobby and must repent by doing 40 days and 40 nights of penance on voice-only systems. You know, going down to the playground, you don't want to break the monkey bars because then you're not going to be able to use the monkey bars. No duh. Number nine. Thou shalt not occupy thy BBS with thine silly arguments, for verily I say unto thee that thou shalt maketh an electronic fool of thyself. Nobody wins in a flame war. Number 10. Thou shalt not violate applicable state-federal laws that doth offend BBS communications, or thy will face the wrath of thy judicial system. And this was before the FBI could come knocking on your door for joining an IRC chat. 11. Thou shalt download at 1,200 baud or faster so as not to tie up the phone lines unnecessarily. Oh, 1,200 baud. I don't miss you. And finally, number 12, uh, torrent users will recognize this one. Thou shalt upload as thou downloadest. Again, really fun. Some very common internet lessons that still apply today. And I just thought I'd share it with you guys. Dude, check out my sweet prongs. Now it's time for Progs, the portion of the show where I show you some neat tools that'll help you experience a little internet history on your own. Some are fun, some are useful, and some just plain don't exist anymore. First up is the Internet Archives Wayback Machine. I mentioned this site back in the Bird is Evil segment, and it's so useful I just had to include it in the first episode. Like a ninja of the night, Archive.org has been storing a copy of the internet since 1996. It's archived over 150 billion web pages, if you can believe it, and chances are, if you can think of a site, you can find every version of it between now and then on the Wayback Machine. Want to see what Google looked like when it was a student project? No problem. What about that website you had to build for your computing class in high school? Chances are it's in the Wayback Machine. 
you can go ahead and lose countless hours at the Wayback Machine by either going to the site at archive.org slash web slash web.php or simply going to archive.org and selecting Wayback Machine from the drop-down menu next to the search box. My second pick today is a really fun one. I set up a special URL to make it easy to find for you. I just go ahead and go to bit.ly slash progs1. That's spelled P-R-O-G-Z-1 to go ahead and access the GeoCities Izer, a fun little tool to convert any modern web page to a train wreck of a GeoCities site. Animated GIFs, spinning counters, and autoplaying MIDI music along with some other horrendous mods make any site you enter an instant eyesore. GeoCities may be gone, but like any good zombie, it won't stay dead. I know what you're thinking. Ninjas? Zombies? This is your new favorite segment. If you can think of any tools or web pages that you think people would like to know about, I'll tell you how to submit those at the end of the show. Well, it's about the end of the episode, and at the end of every episode, I'm going to suggest an old website for you to go check out. Since it's the first episode of the show, I figured I'd suggest the first domain name ever launched. Uh, It's symbolics.com, S-Y-M-B-O-L-I-C-S.com, and it was the first internet domain name ever purchased. Unfortunately, it seems like it's been bought off by some sort of kind of spammy company. They also own tablets.com, copier.com, and it basically has like a spinning globe that shows you where you are on the globe uh, and where all the other visitors to the site are uh, and it says to sign up to know when symbolics.com launches uh, I don't know what they're planning on doing with it uh, but it has been around for 26 years so if nothing else uh, just as a novelty go ahead and check it out and you can check out the old version of the site by popping it into the Wayback Machine Well, that about does it for the first episode. I want to thank you for joining me. You can get more episodes as they come out at oldwideweb.org. If you want to submit a memory allocation, it's real simple. I just need you to record a 30-second to about two minutes. That's a very loose timeline. Uh, Just a little audio file letting me know what your one of your earliest or most vivid internet memories are. It can be anything from the first time you signed on to a BBS, your first try on America Online, your first internet girlfriend. And then you can go ahead and email it to me at oldwideweb at gmail.com. That's oldwideweb at gmail.com. You can also use that address to submit any websites or tools you think might fit in the prog section or just to give me some general feedback. My name's Bill Meeks. You can follow me on Twitter at @billmeeks. I should probably go ahead and get a Twitter account set up for the podcast too, huh? And check back in in a week or two for the next episode of Old Wide Web. Mm-hmm.